listening to Wallet Rewind with Kyle Joseph and Riley Turner. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wallop Rewind Season 2 on the brand new Wallop Media Network. Ryland Turner here, joined, as always, by Kyle Joseph. Kyle, how are you? I'm good. I'm excited to get this one started. We, You chose an interesting topic for this one, so I'm looking forward to talking about this show. And as with all of the debut episodes on the new network, we are having a guest sit in with us to discuss whatever we are discussing Right now, we've got Blaine the Brain from the Royal Ramble podcast, somebody who I've worked with before. Uh, Blaine, how are you? I'm doing great. I hope everybody out there is doing well also. I just finished the Money in the Bank pay-per-view not too long ago, so looking to get back and uh, rewind to 2001. Okay. All right. Well, Blaine said it. We are talking about Invasion 2001. This is the beginning of Kyle and I sort of taking a step away from going show by show and focusing on eras of wrestling. So we are going to be doing over the next three months, uh, Invasion, SummerSlam 2001, and of course, the conclusion of the Invasion Storyline Survivor Series 2001. That's what you can expect for the next three months, guys. Week two of every month. I think that's what it was anyway. Uh, Kyle, we don't have any facts about this show going in, so why don't we kick this bad boy off? We have top 10 lists talking about Invasion 2001. Kyle, let's start this process. All right. Um, I'm going to start. Uh, actually, do you have, uh, Blaine, do you have any honorable mentions that you wanted to get into before we get into the lists? We'll do guests um, first. Yeah, like in terms of honorable mentions, honestly, it was it was kind of a struggle to pick 10 things uh, mm. on each side of the spectrum. Like, uh, and, and surprisingly, I had a even, uh, I, I had an even uh, challenge, more challenging time uh, choosing the worst, which you would think it would be like <laughs> more easy to come by. But actually, uh, there were, there was a lot of good on this show, actually. Um, I did have one honorable mention, and that is did I see correctly that Joseph Stalin was in this intro package? <laughs> they seem to be showing a lot of, you know, war references, which was an interesting choice. Um, and yeah, Joseph Stalin randomly appearing because I guess he's WCW. I don't really understand the metaphor here, but <laughs> but I guess that's it's what they were going definitely for. Definitely, he's WCW. <laughs> I, I think it, it was it had to do more with the Monday Night War that that's kind of the theme of the of the intro mm-hmm. I, I think uh, so it was it was kind of a war war based intro. Yeah, that seemed to be the way they wanted to go about things. Uh, any honor uh, the honorable mention I have is that uh, the WWE production team, uh, Stalin aside, has always been very top tier with their video packages. And I mean, if you look at what they have now. Wrestling is so much more, I think, like dramatic now in a sense that we have your bloodline storylines. We have your CM Punk versus the Young Bucks backstage storylines. We There's so much more drama in wrestling now than there was in this era, I find anyway. Um, and I just, I, but I thought that the video packages were still very, very much so top tier. And these guys, and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, all of the programs leading into this show were somewhat interesting, somewhat disappointing. And 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 then you know there 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 was this show was a whole lot of things. So that's my honorable mention is the WWE production team has always been pretty top tier. 
Uh, Blaine, just to check on something, did you do a top 10 worst and a top 10 best? I did. Okay. I thought, so, I thought that's what we were going for, so I, have, I actually uh, have a top 20 list. <laughs> well, excellent. Well, we'll let you do, we'll let you count down both of your lists uh, sure. as we go to your, uh, to your turn. So, uh, Blaine, why don't you hit us with your number 10 worst and number 10 best? Okay, so on the worst side, um, basically, it didn't really make much sense to me um, from a booking standpoint that WCW and ECW were to pair together. Yes. Uh, because if you recall throughout their history, you'd think that WCW and ECW would, would be more familiar as enemies than either one of them with WWE. They literally stole their champion. Right. Like, <laughs> Mike right. Awesome and, came and, there yeah. as the champion. I remember uh, Joey Styles actually pointing that out on the ECW One Night Stand broadcast as well. Yes, mm-hmm. we, we've, we've covered oh, you that. you did not let that go. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it, it was an odd choice to try to do them in this alliance, and I do think it just confused the whole situation a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, on the good side, uh, so commentary is really has been a, a very important thing to me uh, in terms of enjoying and overall enjoyability of the broadcast. Uh, and it seems like it's lacking these days, especially in the WWE. But JR was on at the top of his game at this during this period of time. Like, I, I, I thought he was one of the best announcers. Uh, and it's, it's years like this that make me think of him as one of the best announcers of all time. Absolutely. I do... I do think it was interesting that they used JR in more of an analyst role. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought um, that he suited that role really well. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'll go to my number 10 next. And this is some silly backstage stuff. Uh, but I did get a kick out of this. Uh, Vince telling uh, William Regal to uh, win like it's the Revolutionary War is... Exactly my kind of humor. And the Regal's, because Regal was um, the consummate performer, and his comedy chops, even when they were understated, were always second to none. And him just sort of sitting there in that, the irony of that, and then just leaving it alone was was fantastic. So I did get a kick out of that. Mm-hmm. Rylan, you're number 10. <sighs> Bra and panties matches were always bad. We're always, 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 always bad. And to see Trish Stratus and Lita utilized in this fashion, and even to that same degree, Tori Wilson and Stacey Keebler, who, while they weren't the the greatest in-ring workers of all time, certainly their popularity deserved a little bit more than this. Um, it's it's, It's unfortunately a staple of the time. Uh, that we have these, you know, matches, uh, and and they're going to come up. I know in times that Kyle and I go back and review these old shows, but it was just it, I thought really disappointing to see all four of these women utilized like this because it's just it was it was a nothing match, and I don't feel like anyone was more over after the fact. No, no but it, it is kind of what you would expect from this era. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Like that, that was kind of the norm back then. I think the part of it that was so odd to me, and it makes me wonder how much of this was Vince being in their ear, but this was sort of com uh, commentary's kind of low point, which is unsurprising for this kind of match. But whereas you come to expect it from Jerry Lawler, when he is on the broadcast, that this is just sort of what mm-hmm. he's there for. 
Michael Cole and JR having to like pretend to ogle these women was yeah, very awkward. <laughs> it didn't it didn't it didn't work for their uh personalities. I think you, you kind of have to have that personality to to deliver something like that. And and they they don't strike me as the kind of individuals who would normally joke about that sort of thing. Mm. I think, like, Michael Cole wanted to be that guy, but he just ne- could never pull that off. Listen, man, he had the frosted mm-hmm. tips. He was almost there. He was almost there. <laughs> 2001 grabbed Michael yeah, Cole and sh- shook him up. <laughs> uh, Blaine, your number nines, please. Okay, so on the worst of list, um, the one thing that I never understood is the, the like, just focusing on the buildup uh, to this show... Uh, the whole like random heel and face turns, depending on like which brand you belong to. I, I never understood that. Um, like Booker T, for instance, came over as a white hot baby face, and then all of a sudden, inexplicably, inexplicably, is uh, suddenly a heel the following week. DDP. <laughs> DDP exactly. is probably the worst example yeah. of that, just considering the storyline they were dealing with. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then on the good side. I got to give props to Kurt Angle because he was one of the highlights of this show for me. Like his backstage interaction with Vince, first of all, the motivational speech or what was supposed to be a motivational speech. And then the just the, the insane pop that he received coming out through that tunnel and his work in the match, not to mention. He was probably, and like, I mean, he got worked over for most of the, the match or for a good mm-hmm. chunk of the match. But he was probably the, at least the workhorse highlight of that particular match. Right. Um, move on to my number nine. And I wanted to enjoy this. And then Earl Hebner had to go and hit the worst spear I have ever seen in my entire life, where it was like combination spear, shoulder tackle. Yeah. Um, like at least the, the corner punches were, you know, th- that's obviously going to get the crowd <laughs> going or whatever it is. But this. That as a match ender was just, I don't know what he was trying to do, but he just sort of ran into him and, and pinned him, uh, pinned, uh, sorry, Nick Patrick. This was, uh, I, to me, this just didn't work. Mm-hmm. And I, I get what they were trying to go for. And the crowd seemed to get a kick out of it at the very least. And obviously Mick Foley uh, put in a lot of work. In, as a referee in the show, but this was this was just sort of weird to me. Your number there, nine. there are two things that I wanted to add to that, oh, but yeah. Um, yeah, just um, but no, 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 one of one of my choices actually, uh, which I'll get to later on, is the ref match. <laughs> so I'll, I'll save okay. it for then. But yeah, Riley, go ahead. My 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 number nine is also Earl Habner versus Nick Patrick. Uh, however, I have kind of a different side of the coin to this. Uh, this was way better than I remembered it. <laughs> this was way, the crowd was so hot for this match, and I think that that's a testament to the crowds in two thousand, two thousand and one, and even into early two thousand and two. But my God, Earl Hebner was just as over as anybody on our current TV right now. Like. It was insanity. Uh, and you know what? You're right, Kyle. Like, it, it was awkward, and there was just – these guys were obviously not workers, but um, there was a, there was something about it where I feel like both guys knew how to work the crowd. Yeah. And, and they had been in the business for a long time up until this point, both of them. 
Um, so obviously they probably picked up some things along the way, but man, this was way better than I expected it to be. When I looked on the card and saw we were going to have to review this, I was like, oh, this is going to be garbage. But no, no, I, I, I laughed throughout this entire thing. Yeah. Well, I'll say this Cleveland crowd just across the board, uh, was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And they, like, I mean, it's kind of what you come to expect out of the Attitude Era, but even in particular, they did a really, really great job with this. Um, we'll move on to number eights. Uh, Blaine, your number eights, please. Okay, so on the worst of list, the uh, Ryan Ryland touched on the Braun Panties match earlier, and uh, I can't, I, I could not justify putting that on my best of. Um, for that very purpose. It's just so amazing to see, like we, I, I just saw the money in the bank show today and you had six skilled women's wrestlers in that match, Trish Stratus being one of them. And then it's so amazing to see how far the women's, re- the women's division has come since this very point. And especially the evolution of Trish from this to now being seen as one of the best women's wrestlers of all time. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was very awkward and sloppy and, and it didn't like the, the commentary jokes were just not working for me or anybody. I don't think, uh, especially when, uh, JR and Michael Cole went back and forth about that, that terrible, uh, Finkel line about how, uh, the Fink has, uh, Fink has a thong or something like that. And it just didn't work for me. And the wrestling was it was just as bad. But what I didn't like in particular about this match is the fact that given the stipulation, you would expect all four of them to be cheered, which is not really the it's not really the theme that they're kind of going for. They wanted the alliance to paint the alliance as the heels and the WWE as the baby face. And also because Trish and Lita were basically previously feuding and now all of a sudden the best of buddies. It was and. Uh, I'll say this. This is my number eight. Uh, oh, uh, so did you have a number? Yeah. Sorry, your number eight best. I forgot. Yeah, no, no worries. Uh, so on the good side, um, just one of the, like I should have I should have actually used this as one of my honorable mentions. But just that whole scene with Hardcore Holly ejecting the the fan with the WCW shirt, the poor guy had his shirt ripped <laughs> off and thrown out of there. Um, I, I don't know why, but I thought, I thought that was hilarious. And I, I hope that Holly realized that, that it was actually an act because, because I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't even clue him in. But yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty funny, uh, highlight for me for sure. Hardcore Holly was like, JBL was the bully you wanted to hate, but Hardcore Holly was the bully. You were like, you're all right. You're, you're <laughs> all right. You slap the shit out of Daniel Pewter. Do it. Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to get in the ring with him. <laughs> No, no. Um, my number eight was basically Lord Trish and Lita, and particularly Lita, did everything they could mm-hmm. to make this match try to work. And it just, I mean, the, the reality is a tag team bra and panties match is a stipulation you're just not going to be able to overcome. And it was fairly clear from, you know, the, the end result of the match, they just were not able to overcome it. But, you know, they I'll give them credit. They put in an effort. We got elite assaults. We got some other offense. Like, it was just, it just didn't, it was par for the course. I'll say that. It was very of its time. And, yeah, as 
I agree. It's very interesting to see Trish Stratus doing the best work of her life in, in 2023, mm -hmm. but it just goes to show how far women's wrestling has come along. Um, and, you know, I don't, I, I guess the credit for that mostly goes to, to the NXT system where there were so many talented women that they just couldn't deny them the opportunities. But to all of the ones who had to go through this nonsense, I do salute you for that. And yeah, I'll give them credit for trying, but this just was, especially to a modern eye, it just does not work. Mm-hmm. It, it, however, I will say to the 2001 audience, this was over as all hell. Like we talked about the the crowd being ridiculously hot for everything. They were just as hot for this match too. Like I, I can't take that away from these ladies. My number eight, uh, the big show, Albert and Billy Gunn versus what was it? Stasiak, Hugh Morris and Chris Canyon. Uh, this was, as Biggie would describe, six big meaty men slapping meat. That's all this was. <laughs> Whether we're talking about the spot at the beginning with the, uh, what was it, the, the gorilla presses uh, to, to all the heels. Like, this was all this match was. I don't feel like anybody really got anything extra out of this. Of course, we all know what happened to Sean Stasiak. Billy Gunn is living his best life as daddy ass right now. Uh, Albert is, you know, obviously a big part of the NXT system and ha and everybody who's coming up big show is doing commentary or something. He's a, he's a DLC in the AEW video game. So if you want to play as Paul white, you got to pay that extra 1099. Um, <laughs> no, this just, uh, this just, it felt like a, a nothing match. Uh, and, and a couple of these did don't get me wrong, but, uh, it, this felt like we're just going to get everybody on this show. And I think this was yeah. the last match Billy Gunn worked until like 2002. Yeah, there was a lot of filler on this show, I noticed. Yes, absolutely there was. <laughs> I, I mean, part of that was simply just, and I'm going to talk about this shortly as well, but part of it was simply just when you don't bring over a lot of the top stars from the promotion, then, you know, what you're left with is what like Chuck Palumbo and Sean O'Hare, you know, <laughs> like th this was part of the issue with the invasion. If not the biggest issue was, you know, a lot of what made WCW WCW just simply wasn't there when they started. And that, that really hurt this and this show. And what would come of it was basically WWF looking around and being like, okay, I guess we have to send WWF guys to the Alliance now and just made more of a mess than we would, you know, than it could have been otherwise at the very mm -hmm. least. But, uh, but yeah, they didn't want to buy out those contracts. So that's, that's what we got. Um, uh, so we're on to number sevens now, Blaine, your number sevens. Okay. So on the worst of, I mentioned how good JR was on commentary during this show. And I have to say that Michael Cole was almost the polar opposite for me. Uh, he just didn't make it for me in 2001 or really ever. Like, I, I think he's currently probably doing his best work, but to even hear people suggest him as the greatest announcer of all time just makes me cringe every time I hear it. And it's, be <laughs> it's because of years like this. Uh, he was, he was just absolutely terrible. I thought like he added nothing uh, there was no, there was no real insight. Um, 
he had a couple of decent spots during the hardcore title match, but that was about it. Like there was nothing that really stood out to me about him. Like they couldn't have used like a Jim Cornette or a Michael Hayes, who I, I believe were both under contract to WWE at the time. Um, so it, it didn't really make much sense uh, for Cole to be out there other than the fact that it, it was just lack of options. Um, and then on the best of side, I had the, the segment with the whole segment with uh, Shane McMahon and Booker T uh, where Shane was trying to. <laughs> I love that segment. Uh, I'm not really a Shane fan. Like I, I did like him at the time, like when I, I was maybe like 16, 17 years old, years old at the time. I kind of did li- like him at the time. But looking back, you, I mean, he wasn't the greatest character, but I think he was good at what at, at li- these little things that he did. And also. What I like most about it is that they actually acknowledged the score during that segment, like the mm-hmm. WCW and WWE or WCW beating WWE at the time of the show, uh, which I really liked. It's just that attention to, to detail. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, my number seven, I had to clump all these matches together because otherwise I would have to talk about them individually. Uh, APA versus Palumbo and O'Hare, Raven and Regal and the six-man tag, I just, were all just kind of forgettable to me, which is disappointing because, like, I like the APA, particularly Farouk, I think, is a very underrated wrestler. Um, I like both Raven and Regal, mm-hmm. but this was, I just wasn't long enough to, to really keep anything going. And the six-man tag was just kind of there. Um uh, the, for the shock value of that victory, and then Big Show just killed all of them like they were nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, why didn't you do that when the actual match was happening? Um, <laughs> it was, yeah, there there was a lot of matches in this that seemed to just be thrown together, and it's emblematic of a problem that I'm going to talk about much later in my list, but for now, just to say those matches, not that they were bad necessarily, they were just sort of there. Yeah, just to touch on one point, uh, during the tag title match, I don't think I would have minded it if the APA had actually accomplished anything after the fact. Because to me, like, Palumbo and O'Hare, they were, like, I, I don't know if you guys were watching WCW at the time, but when WCW ended, they had actually beaten, and I think uh, the announcers, or JR anyway, uh, mentioned this during the broadcast, they had actually beaten the team of Kevin Nash and DDP to win those titles. So they were on a hot streak at the time. They were getting a huge push. And then, unfortunately, the ship sailed. And they came over to WWE, and they had a lot of momentum. And then all of a sudden, they put them against a mid-card tag team, and they lose the match. I don't think I would have minded, though, if they actually used that to kind of further the push of the APA. But they really did nothing with either team after this. The APA always felt like more of a backstage act than they were ever a tag team. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't mind that necessarily. Like, the idea of them being hired guns, I think, is is an interesting story beat. But it does mean exactly that when they beat Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo, those guys are going to feel like nothing. And surprise, surprise, you know, that's what sort of ended up happening with them in WWE. My number seven, uh, Raven and Regal. I'm a big, big Raven guy. Uh, all, I loved everything he did, even his work in TNA. I thought it was great. Some of it, some of it. At the end, it was dark. <laughs> but uh, I thought that this match it didn't quite get to that next level. 
it, like I think Kyle mentioned, it just didn't have the time to get to a point where this could be really enjoyable. Although I, I can't harp on the guys for the work rate because I thought both guys look good together. I think that if you drew this out a little bit and gave them 15 minutes, like we could have had a, a solid match here. It just didn't have that time. Yeah. That was, I mean, that's the thing. I like both of them. I enjoy watching them work. I think this could have been a very different match from some of the other stuff that was on offer, but you give them six minutes. It's hard to be able to get a lot of stuff done, especially because Raven likes, you know, being able to go to the outside and doing some of the, uh, the brutalizing Mm -hmm. that happens there. That takes time to do. And when you use that time up, then you sort of have to hustle to the finish. And that's what kind of what it felt like this happened. This match had it was a pacing issue, but hard to get out of with six minutes to go. Um, we're on to number sixes, Blaine. Okay, so for the worst, and I, I apologize, guys, because this should have been actually much higher in the list. I actually didn't really put much thought into the order here, but... <laughs> Just Stephanie McMahon as the owner of ECW. That was terrible. Like that angle, I I remember that night vividly. I remember watching it live, the whole uh, ECW being put back together under Paul Heyman. And then Steph had to come out and ruin it. And it just, um, I I just couldn't get past that. She had nothing to do with ECW. Uh, I understand that they were pushing an even bigger storyline with the kids against the dad. But it just didn't work for me. It, it didn't click. You're so not wrong. You're so not wrong. <laughs> the kids against the dad story just, it was great for the initial moment of the shock value of Shane on that episode of Raw. That moment worked. After that, it didn't really. They probably should have gotten her around it such that either Heyman or Eric Bischoff, maybe? Mm-hmm. Somebody else should have been involved who was actually in charge and sort of shuffled the kids off to the side once things sort of got rolling. Right. Mm-hmm. And then uh, number six, uh, kind of an honorable mention here, but it made my, my top ten nonetheless on the good side. And that was just the last-minute build for some of the matches on the card, particularly the hardcore title match. I don't know if you guys recall, but the Jeff Hardy and Van Dam match had zero build going into it. Nobody knew anything about RVD. Um, And then they just did that one little angle. uh, And uh, I think it was on the pre-show where Van Damme had attacked Matt Hardy. Uh, They were trying to make this guy into a big heel and it just didn't work because he would get constantly cheered. Uh, He was probably the most over person in the the entire locker room, even WWE included at the time. Uh, So uh, it kind of backfired on them. But uh, yeah, kudos to them for at least making us care about the some of the matches at, at the very last minute, but um, at least it's something. Yeah, you watch RVD for 10 minutes, and there, you can't make him a, a heel. Mm-hmm. No. His offense is so babyface. His persona is so babyface. And it's a little, like, it's a little bit counterculture, but if you can't make RVD work, which the WWE did sometimes make RVD work, but it was always baffling to me that they kept or when they would try to make him into that, you know, the heel character Mm -hmm. or whatever it was, it just doesn't suit him at all. I I just don't feel such an underdog hero. Yeah, I just don't feel like they ever ever fully understood or took the time to understand some of these characters 
And that's more on Vince McMahon just being like having the ego that he does. Like my guys are going over, like I'm, I'm going to push my own talent and then you guys uh, will figure out the rest. But like, I, I just don't feel like they fully invested their time into understanding some of these characters and, and try to make them work. Um, all right. I'll move on to my number six. Um, Kidman and X-Pac. This is a solid match. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed watching these two work. Um, the work rate of it, it did slow down a little bit uh, from what I would come to expect from a Billy Kidman match. Mm-hmm. But, like, they seem to have pretty good chemistry. It ended up being a solid cruiserweight match. Uh, I liked seeing Billy Kidman go over. I don't know that that ever continued in, in this at all either. I feel like he got very lost in the shuffle, which is the least surprising thing ever. But at least on this night... And he, it was not, it was interesting because he was the one who started the the streak going for the alliance, picking up victories. Yeah. And I feel like that also got lost in the shuffle. Was that he was kind of the the leader behind that? And I feel, you could have done something with that, but like Billy Kidman was never going to be in the WWF. Yeah, just to uh, give you guys some background, I know you ju- you just started watching at around that time, uh, so I don't know if you were watching WCW previously, but. Going back a couple of years before this show, these guys were probably the two that that each company pegged to be the star of the promotion. They were on their hottest streaks in maybe like 99, 2000. Um, and I think that's why they kind of paired them together because they were so similar in that sense. They were both young up-and-comers, uh, had a similar look, similar personalities. Um, and... Originally, it was I think it was Shane Helms, the Hurricane, who, who came over as the Cruiserweight Champion. Uh, and then they had him drop the belt to Kidman prior to this show um, to, I guess, kind of uh, give give us that dream match. Uh, but or at least it was to some of us. But it, yeah, it was I, I agree. It was a good match. But again, I think they un, they mistakenly tried to book X-Pac as the baby face in this and he couldn't have been less over during this period. This is right after the X-Factor. Like At this point, this is when the, the term <laughs> X-Pac heat came into play. Like He was no longer the baby face and wouldn't be up until more recently, I'd say. Now people love X-Pac, but yeah. I think we look back yeah. on X-Pac, and, I, and I'll mention this again when I talk about this match, but I think we look back on X-Pac and realize that we had a good thing going and we didn't appreciate him like we should have. Yeah. I think with X-Pac, I think he's just a character that kind of got lost in the shuffle in a sense that he never really, like his character never really evolved. And I think that's what people, people eventually just got bored of him because it was just the same old shtick. And, um, and it just didn't work. Like what worked in 99 just didn't work in 2001. Right. Uh, Rylan, it's time for your number six. Uh, I had APA and Palumbo and O'Hare here. Again, another ex- example of just strikes and big, you know, throw over your head moves. There was nothing really special about this match. Although I will say, uh, Sean O'Hare was always one of those guys, uh, who had so much more talent than they ever gave him credit for. This guy had one of the best swantons in the business. Like he, and he was a big guy too. Like this is a guy who, you know, you look at like Wardlow now. Wardlow's doing things that Sean O'Hare was doing in 2001, and everyone's going, "Oh, it's insane! This is right. great! This is awesome!" But Sean O'Hare was doing this in 2001, 
Um, and, and even a little bit in 2003 when they brought him back with Roddy Piper very, very briefly. Um, I do wonder, I, I, you know, if like Sean O'Hare was, came into WWF as a singles wrestler rather than a tag wrestler. If we would be talking about his career very differently when Vince first got a look at him. Because I, I agree with you. He, I mean, his matches were always um, a little bit difficult for me. But just like, but that also had to do with the fact that WCW's tag team division was so all over the place um, at, at various times, um, where you know we we'll had to watch these two guys wrestle the Chronic. Um, but the chronic didn't show up until September in this, like, in this uh, invasion and they were there very briefly. Yeah. Cause they, they were released right after that terrible match that they had against Taker and King. That was probably one of the worst matches <laughs> of the year. Uh, but yeah, I, it, I agree with you. It's, it's surprising that they never, uh, and again, if even if tag team wrestling was more prevalent, I feel like they could have gotten a bigger push too, but just was not to be in WWF at the time. Um, before we get into the number fives, uh, Rylan, uh, it's time to do our inaugural Lance Storm Award. Okay, so Blaine, I didn't explain to you this to you before we recorded, but we are awarding the, like Kyle said, the inaugural Lance Storm Award. And it is going to who you feel is the best worker or the, gave the most on this show, but probably got the least credit for it. Um, oh. I'm going to award the, the award this uh, month to, I, I think it's going to go to Billy Kidman. I thought that this, he, he put mm-hmm. a lot into that match and like, I'm going to talk about it in a little bit. Um, Billy Kidman for me is a guy who has always been super great. Aside from his little hiccup storyline with Hulk Hogan, uh, I've always enjoyed everything he's done. Even like that, that later heel run that he had against Paul London after he, uh, he, he, yeah, he turned on Paul London after he crushed Chavo's face with the uh, the shooting star press. Shooting star. Yeah, and uh, I thought even that stuff was good. But, um, no, I, I feel like I, I looked at this card front and back when I was trying to decide who was going to get this. And honorable mention to Tajiri, who I'm going to talk about right away. But, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I definitely think that uh, Billy Kidman is the winner for me. Kyle, um, what do you think? For me... To me, Taz is the king of the eight-minute match. If you need somebody to get in to have some very short, explosive offense uh, and quick bursts of power, and admittedly, he had an absolute consummate pro as a dance partner in Tajiri, and I think the two of them together sort of co-share this award to me. But... Taz's offense to me was always so different and unique and interesting. Um, the buzzsaw kick caught into an exploder suplex was a, a particular highlight spot to me. And yeah, him just throwing ragdolling Tajiri around for a few minutes um, really built up him as this, even if you hadn't seen Taz to that point, um, built him up as that monster um, and made the Tajiri victory all the more, one, surprising, and two, impressive. So I'm going to give uh, Taz credit for that. To be able to pull that off in five minutes and 30 seconds is very impressive. And uh, credit to both of them, but Taz is my Lance Storm Award winner today. 
Blaine, you, uh, this is a very off the top of your he- of, of your head now, but <laughs> do you have somebody that you want to particularly shout out who you don't think gets enough credit on the show? Yeah, like I as <laughs> I, I was just actually thinking about it as you guys were talking there. Uh, so I guess if we're giving undeserved credit here, um, or uh, sorry, unrecognized credit, um, I guess that rules out Angle and Van Dam because they uh, they were super recognized on this show. But I'm going to give credit to the guy that the award is named after, and that's Lance Storm. I thought he had a hot opening match. Uh, he was the one guy out of the Alliance locker room, uh, even even more so, I think, than Van Dam on this show who displayed any kind of personality which is kind of ironic when you think about it because his, his whole character is no personality. But yeah, I, I thought like from his opening promo to the match, to the just the pacing of the match, to his selling uh, and some of the bumps he took, uh, he was phenomenal on the show. Yeah, uh, you're That's absolutely right. Yes. It was definitely a consideration for me as well, but Lance Storm... Um, he's never not going to get credit. I'm sure he's going to win it on this show. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to win. It. Um, so that's one one Lance Storm award for Lance Storm uh, already. We'll see how many he ends up getting. Uh, Blaine, back to the list. Your number fives. Okay, so I kind of touched on this earlier um, as, as far as worst of, but I I hated the concept of previously feuding WWE team members being forced to mm. work together uh, just for the purpose of brand loyalty. Uh, like I mentioned, the thing with Trish and Lita, and then also the members of the 10-man tag. Uh, like Steve Austin, obviously, was a big heel at the time. Uh, Kurt Angle had just turned babyface. Again, no explanation at all, other than the whole brand uh, loyalty thing. Undertaker and Kane, who had just been feuding with Austin, are now teaming with this guy. All of them are now supposedly friends with Vince McMahon, all of a sudden, who's now face. Uh, again, no explanation. But, uh, yeah, so it, it, it was kind of odd to see um, just everybody kind of being on the same page. And, and Ryland mentioned that the six-man tag as well. Just the most random pairing of, of individuals that you can imagine being uh, put together on a team together. Absolutely, yeah. That that tag that tag patch was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then uh, the five number five. Uh, you, I think we all kind of mentioned it at one point or another. Uh, just the match, the whole match between Rob Van Dam and Jeff Hardy. Um, this is the like I, I was fami- a little familiar with Van Dam, but I wasn't really watching when during his ECW run. I saw co- maybe a couple of his matches with Jerry Lynn. Um, I saw, I, I mostly knew him from his time in the WWF during that brief 97 run uh, with Jerry Lawler. Uh, so I wasn't all that familiar with him, but he impressed the hell out of me in this show. Like I, I, like I saw him do moves that I had never previously seen, uh, which is, I mean, I, I, at this point I'd been watching maybe like 15, 15 years or so, 14 years. Uh, so to, to show me moves that I had never seen before is, is an impress is impressive in itself. And there are very few athletes that can do that today, uh, not surprisingly, because I feel like we've seen a bit of everything. But like um, he was a guy like like kind of like a Ray Phoenix of that era, where he's pulling out stuff that you wouldn't you wouldn't even imagine is possible, or, or like even a, a Vikingo. Mm. That, Absolutely, it's a, I would have never thought of that like comparison before. But you mentioned it, and you're right. Like Rob Van Dam was that guy at that time when when he got in the ring and the bell rang. You were going to see some shit that you didn't see before, and mm-hmm. it was always exciting. 
Um, my number five was after a string of matches that were uh, kind of mediocre to like solid. It was good to see a legitimately, you know, fun, high energy match between Tajiri and Taz. Um, I thought these two, for the amount of time they were given, I thought they did a solid job, and I thought the match was entertaining. I thought the the result and the booking of it made a lot of sense. Tajiri got ragged down, dolled around a lot, managed to get some strikes in, but Taz was pretty much taking him uh, all over the all over the mat, and then uh, missed buzzsaw kick victory. It mm-hmm. like. Telling those two, you got five minutes, good luck. And for them to pull that out of five minutes, I thought that was pretty impressive. So that's my number five. That is also my number five. Uh, I, th- I like it's funny that you mentioned it when you were talking about your Lance Storm award. Like it, I was, like I said, an honorable mention for that award for me was Tajiri. Like this guy at the time was. Somebody who you would see in the one, the, the first or second or maybe third match of, of Monday Night Raw, but it was always something different. There's always something exciting, and getting to go in there with Taz was something. I, 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 you know, after I watched this match, I wondered to myself if they had ever had a match in ECW, and I haven't gone back and actually looked, but I would be fascinated to see what these guys could do with more time if they ever had it. Mm-hmm. Um, this was, I thought, one of the best matches on the card. I was really, really happy with it. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought that, uh, I, I see, I always look back on this era of Taz, like this is kind of Taz on the way out, but I always forget that there were still matches and still opponents that Taz had that he, when he was on his way out, he was having some bangers still. And for five mm-hmm. minutes, him and Tajiri went at a pace that we're used to watching an AEW dynamite now. Yeah, I, I want to add uh, one thing to that match, actually, um, and, and kind of more on the negative side, but a little bit of nitpicking here. And that kind of goes uh, with what I was saying about um, for WWE uh, previously feuding guys having being forced to team together. Uh, but with Tajiri was kind of the opposite. Like all of a sudden now he's supposed to be loyal to WWF. Uh, for whatever reason, like that never made, that really never made sense to me because he's ECW through and through. Like, I don't know why he's suddenly supposed to be loyal to WWF. We, we did get that good match with Taz, but they couldn't have like turned him into a heel and, and had him against like a Regal or, or even like a Taka at the time or something like that. That would, they would have torn the house down. Yeah. I don't disagree with you on that. I never even put that together. <laughs> <laughs> um, Moving on, it is uh, number four is for you, Blaine. Okay, so on the worst of side, uh, just the uh, and, and this kind of speaks as like as a whole, uh, but just the overall booking of the alliance members on this card, um, and not not even just on this card, but like overall, um, I just didn't like I didn't care for the fact that they had little to no offense. Anytime that they would ever have an advantage in a match, they would like have to cheat. Uh, like every match they did win on this card, aside from the Van Dam match, they cheated to win. Um, and it, it was just like a poor execution of the whole thing from the get go. The whole thing that was missed, and I think the thing that people really overlook <clears throat> in terms of why the invasion failed was they didn't make a credible threat out of WCW. It was a lot of tell but not show. And 
you know, and then just give them Stone Cold, and Stone Cold on his own is going to beat the whole locker room. Like, right. it just didn't... They could have made some legitimate stars. They had people who could work. Um, and then throwing them in weird matches, like Lance Storm and Mike Awesome, both solid wrestlers in their own right, could have been in individual matches. Um, yeah. I'm not, like, a huge fan of Chris Canyon, but he's a fair sight better than the people he was paired with in that particular match. He could have been pulled Absolutely. out and done something better. Like, mm-hmm. but, and uh, like ultimately the tag match at the end, like the Dudleys were WWF pretty well established by that point. Uh, Rhino is such a wild card. And then DDP and Booker T are such natural baby faces, and you had to force them into this awkward heel dynamic where DDP's yeah. kidnapping people? He's stalking. Like, he, he didn't kidnap her. Yeah. Oh, wait, he might have. I don't remember. No, he, he kidnapped her. He stalked the shit out of her, though. Oh, right, right. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, oh, Deborah was in yeah. the trunk of DDP's car. That was a thing that... Yeah, that was weird. It, it like, I mean, the, the whole DDP versus Undertaker feud, in theory, could have worked, but just not under those circumstances. And it's hard to I, believe that that guy... I, it, I feel like you could have gotten somebody else to do it. That could have been a Chris Canyon thing. That could have been anybody. That could have been, been a Raven thing. Yeah, that yeah, been Raven, I could believe that totally. But but I, I'll never forget yeah. starting to see the vignettes for that. And just when it was revealed as DDP, I wasn't super familiar with all of D- what DDP had done. But Kyle and I had played revenge enough that I knew that DDP was a baby face. Yeah. I knew he was a good guy. So I'm like, why would you do that? Why would yeah. you stalk Undertaker's wife? That didn't make any sense. But yeah, yeah, yeah like definitely. To, me, to uh, me, that was just shock for like that was just shock for shock's sake. Like it, it wasn't yeah. like anything like it like it, i admit like i popped when that happened when the whole reveal but yeah. i didn't care for the angle at all yeah, i think it's more of an excitement of seeing a guy like ddp on your wwf television than oh shit right. he's actually stalking the undertaker's wife like yeah. definitely one of those situations <laughs> where the, i think the, the appearance of him means more than what's going on in, in the background and and anybody that knows DDP or knows his character, his his real life self knows that he has a hot wife to begin with. So what is he doing stalking another guy's wife? <laughs> Just could you? I mean, like if you were going to be do that angle, which you probably shouldn't have, you couldn't have picked a worse person for it. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Like I, I met the guy in person too, and he's like he's one of the nicest guys like I've ever met in the business. So like I can't imagine like like it's just it just doesn't make sense that somebody like that would be like a stalker. Mm-hmm. And they quickly turned that around too. Is they they, they made him positive page once again with the big smile yeah. before he was out. And I think he his one of his last matches was the WrestleMania following this. And right or I, I guess maybe a little bit thereafter, but still like. Um, it just it, obviously it didn't work, and when they converted him to that character, it made almost so. You're you're expecting me to believe that this guy who's smiling here is okay, even though he stalked the Undertaker's wife eight months ago. <laughs> you're asking a lot of the audience, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, yeah. So uh, real quick, I, I just want I have a, a 
good uh, top four as well. Um, not really, not really much uh, to say here, but just the attention to detail on this show that I really liked. Uh, like the the whole concept of I, I like the whole concept of uh, the um, match participants entering through different entrance tunnels, and like the whole uh, sticking to kayfabe, like keeping everybody separate, like pretending like they're all in separate locker rooms, um, like just the whole like it. it I kind of feel like it added to the theme of the show. Yeah, the the production work in this show was very very good, and they had been doing that leading up for weeks and weeks and weeks too. You saw you'd seen sort of that you'd saw that the, the Freddie Blassie uh, speech that he gave to the WWF locker room heading into this pay per view, and it right. it gave you that very like strong feeling of like this is good versus evil. Um, this is like, this is the biggest thing that they were going to do in their careers. And, and, and what we look back on now and go, not even close, but, um, it, 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 you, you, you're right. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but, uh, you know what, what I would thought would have been a great idea is like, I don't know if you guys have seen, uh, like X, like remember that X, the old X-Men movie, uh, where Magneto and Xavier are like playing chess together. I kind of feel like they could have pulled like some kind of WCW legend from their past and like had him and Freddie like kind of like going at like they obviously not doing anything physical, but just like just a mental chess game between the two of them. That would have been great. It, you know who would have honestly been great for that? Flair. Flair would have been great for that. Well, I think Flair is a little I, no, but like with Flair, I think he because he's still wor- he was still working at the time, like he's still kind of seen as like a younger guy. Uh, I think they could have used like a like a Harley Race or someone like that, or sure, or like, yeah, um, absolutely, yeah. Wasn't Backlund working for the WCW at that point too? Yeah, Backlund. Yeah, I, mm, I'm not sure. I think he was WWF, but or like uh, Jack Briscoe or someone like that. Like like a Dory Funk, so someone with that kind of lineage. Sure, yeah. Um, I guess I'll move on to my number four. Not much to say about this opening match, but it was very good. Edge and Christian, Lance Storm and Mike Awesome. Credit to the Alliance guys for um, putting in some great work into this particular match. I thought they were... Lance Storm in particular, as you mentioned, I thought did excellent work in, in this particular match. Um, and... It did end a little bit abruptly uh, for me, but I do think the match was solid and a good way to start the show. It was just a shame that we kind of got into a rut after that because I thought this was a good, which is, I mean, that's par for the course for a WCW pay-per-view around this time was a hot opening match followed by a series of what are we doing here? But uh, WWF, I would have figured, would would get a little bit better out of it. But yeah, uh, great opening between these two teams. Unsurprising that they gave Edge and Christian the win, but I do feel like, as you mentioned, the Alliance victories, and I'm going to start talking about it later, the Alliance victories in this, um, especially what I would say about it is anybody who lost in the WWF or for the WWF with maybe the exception of Jeff Hardy, needed to take a good hard look of where their career was at at that point because it was not a good sign that you were uh, a sacrificial lamb to uh, the Alliance side Mm -hmm. to try to make it close. Um, Rylan, you're number four. Uh, This is where I slotted Billy Kidman and X-Pac. I thought that uh, these guys had a banger of a match uh, in 
and, and 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 like I said earlier, I feel like we all look back on X Pac now and don't appreciate or didn't appreciate him the way we should have. Like I look back on matches as the where, where he was the one two three kid against Scott Hall, and I'm like, how did I not give this guy the credit he deserved? Because like man, fantastic work all the time, and uh, and honestly, like what it was it, like, I remember him having good matches with Kane. Like that is no easy task. But again, a worker who I, I think, because of the fact that he played such a such a universally hated character, got kind of got bad of a kind of had a bad rap because of the fact that uh, he was who he was. But uh, I, again, we all look back now and think, man, this guy was was way better than anyone ever gave him credit for. And Billy Kidman is uh, my Lance Storm Award winner. Like this guy is always underappreciated. Um, and he even more so on this night. Mm-hmm. It's time to get into our top threes. Blaine, what do you have for your threes? Okay, so on the worst side, uh, we kind of touched on it earlier. And I think I feel like at this point we're getting into a lot of repeats. But the ref match, very unnecessary to have on a show with 11 matches. Like, I don't think a show with 11 matches is necessary at all to begin with. But this referee match was just thrown in there no, like, I guess there was kind of a storyline, but you you would think that they would each, like, get to pick a representative from each side to at least compete in the match. But no, like, we got a full-on match between Nick Patrick and Earl Hebner. Um, Nick Patrick, of course. I mean, bo- both of these guys have been part of, like, huge angles. So I wouldn't, I wasn't expecting their acting to be particularly bad. Um, but the match, I, I mean, I didn't expect much. Uh, I was just surprised that it went longer than it did. And the one surprise out of it to me was the debuting Brian Hebner on the opposition's t- on the opposition's team. <laughs> I don't know if you guys caught that. Oh, I didn't. No, that's hilarious. <laughs> and then, uh, okay, so and then on the good side, um, just the overall production value of the show, um, like you, I think both of you touched on earlier, uh, just like. I miss the days when they would have these like set these like huge pay-per-view sets. Whereas now it's like just a big screen and like every pay-per-view looks exactly the same. Um, and then also the, like the hype videos, like the opening uh, video montage, the, the hype video for the Alliance and WWF uh, 10 man tag match. Uh, even the, the tag title uh, war between the APA and Palumbo and Ayer was really good. Um, yeah, just some of those, some of those video, like whoever was producing the videos at the time, kudos to them because they, because they were on point and I kind of miss, uh, I kind of miss, uh, those days. It just made the show feel extra special and that like, just, just because of, uh, the, the time that went into some of these. It's a good one. Yeah. hundred percent agree with that. And also like honorable mention and shout out to drowning pool for let the bodies hit the floor. Like mm-hmm. this was not only used on this show, but obviously years later with ECW, um, that song really encapsulated everything it needed to on this program, this pay-per-view in particular, let the bodies hit the floor was the best track to use. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get on to my number three, which was the multi-man tag, uh, 10 man tag at the end. Um, first I'm, I'm glad like I, I get that you couldn't do this as an elimination match, but I definitely think that could have maybe helped this because it felt like there was a lot of chaos and way too many bodies. But 
it was the kind of campy sports entertainment nonsense that I come to enjoy out of WWE. I think the ending was good. I think it led into a story that could have been better than it ended up being, but at least like it was a pivot. It was a direction for them to go in. And I thought that the match itself was, was solid. I thought that everybody kind of did what the work that they were, they kind of needed to do. We got a lot of the signature offense that we'd come to expect from, from everybody. Um, Kurt Angle, as you mentioned, was, putting in a ton of work in this particular match and, and full on credit to him. He was doing some of his best work of his career in this era. So yeah, um, that was my number three. I thought this was, you, you know, you know, what's funny is that if they had not gone with a 10 man main event and just split these guys up in, into like individual matches, it would have probably been a lot, a much stronger show. I agree. Especially, I mean, this thing, if you knew you were going to get to survivor series, the way that they were, Mm-hmm. This match seems odd. Mm-hmm. It just seems like we need to th- we need some sort of throw everybody in a match and and have them battle it out. Um, Rylan three, Edge and Christian versus Lance Storm and Mike Awesome. Like you had mentioned, I thought that this was a great opening match. Uh, Lance Storm's promos in this era were just always heat magnets, and he found the perfect one line that he could use. And he took it seriously. And he, honestly, like, that guy moves smooth as butter. Like, doesn't matter who he's working with. It's it's ridiculous how great Lance Storm was. And again, how we look back on him and just go, like, what if? Because this guy at one time was having some of the best matches in ECW, WCW, and, and WWF. And no one really gives him the credit that he fully deserves. So yeah, this opening match and Mike awesome, honestly was always awesome too. Like no, no shade on Mike. Awesome. I I love that guy. Edge and Christian, both consummate professionals. And, Mm. uh, what's funny is this is the beginning of the invasion. And by the end of it, Edge and Christian would no longer be right. And it's interesting to see like the dynamic. This is right after he won King of the ring. And this is when they started to plant those seeds that Christian was on his way out. But, you know, the, the, obviously in this in this moment, they were united. But, uh, no, I thought this was a great opener and one of the best things on the show. We'll move on to our number twos. Uh, Blaine, your number twos. Okay, so uh, number two on the worst of list. Um, just the obvious heel turn and execution of the Stone Cold Betrayal. Uh, we, I think everybody knew it was coming, especially after that that backstage segment with him and Vince, where he just spouted off a bunch of his catchphrases. And there was no creativity to it whatsoever because he didn't want to be he didn't want people to start cheering for him. Um, and then just the whole execution of it as well, because like you had like all the alliance guys selling for him and and the other WWF guys the entire match. They were getting I mean, they were getting basically destroyed the entire match. And all of a sudden he's like, oh, wait, I'm, I'm on your team now. So like that kind of didn't really make sense to me. Um, I understand why they did it, but it just didn't like just as an as an onlooker, it didn't really add up in that sense. That was very nonsensical. Yeah. I feel like the turn in general was nonsensical. Like we we this is a guy who was in WCW, was in ECW, but WCW threw him away. 
and ECW kind of created the character he became, but he eventually went on to bigger and better things than the WWF and WWE. And to see, like, again, I understand you're correct when you say that, like, the turn was pretty predictable, but I look at the reaction he got the SmackDown prior when he brought back the old Stone Cold and he whooped everyone's ass. Yeah. And like, why would you not want to keep that? Like you realize that you had to have realized at this point that the heel turn for Stone Cold wasn't working the way you thought it was going to work. But to try and double down on that and put him on the opposition, it just seems so silly. Well, so I, I kind of wanted to address the, the overall brilliance of Stone Cold because, like, you know, he had to change his character as a heel because, you know, if he did the whole same Stone Cold character, he's going to get cheered. So that was kind of brilliant on his part to kind of change it up, to do everything that he could think of, make the character the complete opposite of his previous self to, in an attempt to get booed. Uh, and and it, this kind of worked in that sense. And also because they had the they knew that The Rock was coming back so they would have the fan base regardless. Uh, but the fact that we never got the one on one rematch between the two of them is what it was, is what I kind of kind of found puzzling. Like to me, that should have been like it, it kind of was in the end at Survivor Series, but it should have been a one on one match as opposed to an elimination match, I think. Uh- and then uh, on the. Good side, my number two is just the whole... Um, I love Paul Heyman on this show, by the way. I thought he was great in this whole angle, the whole setup, the whole uh, execution of the ECW um, invasion and joining the invasion. Um, and just his... The whole pep talk with him and Shane and Stephanie uh, kind of giving the Alliance guys their last-minute pep talk before the before the main match. I, I thought that was fantastic. This is, I think, my favorite era of commentary when, when Paul Heyman and Jim Ross had to coexist with one another for mm. like a, a little under a year. I thought it was great. Mm. I think that, that should have been the team. Not always right. should have been the team. Yeah. <laughs> um, my number two is Jeff Hardy and RVD was a banger. Um, I thought, to me, this was match of the night. I thought these two guys went out there and and absolutely killed it. Uh, And themselves, uh, Jeff Hardy, watching Jeff Hardy now continue to try to do the things that young Jeff Hardy did is terrifying. But, yeah, it's good to know that he was just always like this, uh, jumping off of ladders onto nothing. Um, yeah, getting pushed off the ladders onto nothing, t- taking stage dive bumps and stuff. Um, RVD's offense always looks so good. And I think the thing that really carried this match was the other thing that I really enjoyed out of it is the commentary was trying to make RVD into this despicable whatever, and the crowd just was not having it. The crowd was going to make RVD a face. Is, oh, there's a small contingent of ECW fans cheering for RVD while the entire <laughs> crowd is just screaming. It was overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, and then these two had a really, really good match. I thought the hardcore stipulation worked surprisingly well for for the two of them, getting to sort of explore the space and, and go around and do chaosy things. Um was really good. And yeah, RVD getting the win made a ton of sense. He was going to, like, if you were going to build up a star out of this, 
they at least picked the right guy in RVD. But but it and it's but it's again runs into the same problem that Booker T, DDP, and RVD were probably the three biggest stars from the alliance at this point in time, and they're all mm-hmm. such natural faces. And you need this group to be heels, which maybe goes to show that this whole concept is a little bit. Um, you may need to rethink it just a little bit, but yeah. Um, I, I thought this match was very, very good and a nice, um, and probably for me was my favorite match of the night. Ryland, you're number two. Same match, RVD, Jeff Hardy. I thought those guys killed it. Uh, I'm very excited for the fact that next month we also get to watch this match just with a ladder involved. Um, I, I, I just, I can't say enough good about this match because this is one of, uh, this is a match that, I think everybody going into it knew was going to be good. If you knew RVD and you knew Jeff Hardy, you knew they were, it was going to be creative. It was going to be, uh, they were going to give them the time and they did. And that it was going to be just insanity. And it was, it was all of those things. And Jeff Hardy did not lose this match and look bad in any way, shape or form. He looked like he had the heart of a lion coming out of this and that RVD was just better on that night. And it, like I said, it leads into them having a ladder match at SummerSlam, which I'm very much so looking forward to watching. Uh, I forgot I, the first WWF magazine I got when I was a kid. Uh, I just had my tonsils taken out. I remember getting a WWF magazine. And, and back in the day, if you weren't able to afford the pay-per-views, you had to wait a couple months till WWF magazine would post the pictures and give the results and talk about the matches. And I got the that edition where I think it came out in September and it was talking all about the invasion. And this match was the match that they touted as the best match on the show. So I remember from a very early age, RVD and Jeff Hardy were important wrestlers in my fandom. So this was incredible. Yeah. And now that leaves us it's time only, for number one. Yeah. Only with the, the top, uh, the best and worst, um, which is going to be an interesting conversation. Um, Blaine, what was your number ones? Okay. So I want to switch things up here because and go with the good first, just because I feel like it's, it's less, um, I guess, um, there's, how should I put this? Like, so I feel like it's my uh, number one on the worst side is much more important. So I'll save that for last. But on the good side, I want to go and address the opening tag match again. I picked Lance Storm as my Lance Storm Storm Award recipient. And for a good reason. Like, he was one of the most compelling characters on this show. Uh, He had a great match, great promo, uh, although it wasn't much of a promo. But, I mean, it still worked. Uh, And he was selling nonstop in this match. He was making everybody look good. Um, he was actually the guy that, if you guys can recall, that kind of kicked off the invasion uh, with his. Uh, he was the first guy that that made the jump yes. and um, super kicked. I think it was Perry Saturn on an episode of Raw, and I remember that in and that was in Calgary too. Uh, I remember the the pop that he received for that. That was tremendous. Uh, but the match was really good. Uh, I liked the finish. I thought it was very creative, um, and there were clearly. Um, they were clearly positioning Edge as one of the top rising stars at the time. So it's understandable that he and Christian went over. 
Uh, but I, I still, I think I would have liked to see Lance them do something with, with Storm and Awesome as a team uh, moving forward. Mike Awesome really didn't get to do much after this, which is really unfortunate. And then, of course, on the worst side, and that kind of speaks for this show as a whole once again, and that is the fact that there was zero star power on the Alliance side. I think a better idea probably could have been if they had the patience to wait uh, until they actually sign some of those contracts and get some of the bigger stars, or at least put made another show. Like, they had a Thursday slot. They could have canceled SmackDown, moved all the WWF talent on SmackDown over to Raw, because uh, I think talent was appearing on both shows anyway, uh, and then just made the Thursday show WCW show. First and blind kind of built I don't up. think happened until 2002, so this would have been... Right. Yeah, so that, I, I think they could have tried to at least establish some of those lesser-known talents um, on the WCW side because they made the mistake of assuming that every WWF fan knew knew who these guys were and watched WCW constantly. Uh, but, I mean, realistically, I don't think anybody really knew who Sean O'Hare was or Chuck Palumbo or, or really any of most any of these guys, like a Chris Canyon, Hugh Morris. Uh, so they were very unfamiliar talents. And you're putting them up against some of the top names in the WWF, which I never thought was, um, I never thought worked. What I think they could have done, uh, just to increase the star power if they, if they insisted on moving forward with this show is, is just turn some of the guys that were, that did come from WCW more recently, like a Chris Jericho or a big show or Perry Saturn or something like that, uh, just to give the WCW side more star power, uh, or even had Steve Austin turn before this event and have him lead the charge on WCW, and then they could have made a star out of Kurt Angle as, as the leader of the WWF locker room. Uh, right. I could not agree with you more, and I think it leads into, because what it felt like to me, is we wanted to believe that the Alliance was what we thought WCW was at the time, which wasn't WCW, it was NWO. That mm -hmm. was what they wanted this to be. And without the NWO there, this whole story does not work. Because imagine if you had Hogan, Nash, and Hall, just those guys right. there right. leading this charge. Now all of a sudden that feels like a real heel invading faction that is mm -hmm. in a serious threat. And then whatever else you want to do uh, with those with the rest of these guys coming in. I also feel like you could have just had some of the Alliance guys be faces, but, you know, put that sort of in the back burner. Like, we do that in Survivor Series, putting that stuff in the back burner for brand supremacy. And frankly, you know, you want the team that is employing you to win. I feel like that's a reasonable motivation, regardless of your feelings on the heel-face spectrum. But, but imagine this. So, like, maybe, like, two years Prior, like after following this show, you had Goldberg, yeah. you had Steiner, you had the NWO, like you mentioned, Flair, you had um, Chronic, who came in two months after this show. They could have put like a Chronic against APA as the tag match. They could have put like the NWO on the WCW top side um, with like a and, and then like Rock and Austin or Undertaker Kane, like etc. on the WWF side. Mm -hmm. Imagine how good that would have been. Had they waited like at least like three, 
three or four months. And you might have actually gotten Sting to come over if you treated those guys like a credible team instead of making WCW yeah. look like trash. Right. Um, that Sting goes on record to say that the reason he didn't come over was because of how they treated Booker T. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For me, the big thing with this, and it's, it stems from the fact that there was no star power on the Alliance side, there were no stakes on this show. And one of the biggest things that you mentioned, and that was sort of an interesting point to me, was you mentioned that they were keeping score at a certain point where they had mentioned that the alliance was up four to three. And then commentary kept asking the question, why are we doing this? And they gave the game away because they didn't have an answer for it. Uh, Among the answers they came up with was basically one for pride Two, because sports entertainment is way better than whatever is happening at WCW. Jim Ross, you work there. You know what's going on there. <laughs> um, and then the, the career-shortening ECW, as he mentioned. And three was so that Paul Heyman wouldn't brag on Monday Night Raw that they won. That was the stakes for this. If that's what right. you're coming up with for why are we doing this, that's the best you can come up with. That's not a good sign. At least Survivor Series, for all the faults that we can talk about the evasion, the Survivor Series at the end had stakes. And that's what makes it a very memorable show. This felt like they both wanted it to be a supercard without treating it like a supercard and like the world was ending without giving it the stakes of that. Yeah, like it was kind of like a forbidden door before mm-hmm. forbidden door. And that that was a big thing I was going to mention is having just watched Forbidden Door, I don't have that complaint about Forbidden Door because we go into it knowing what the game is. And that is that mm-hmm. it's a super show where we're getting a bunch of matches that we like and we don't need to worry about storylines going into it because shut up and watch uh, – watch, um, you know, uh, Danielson wrestle. I can't remember who, who did he wrestle now. Okada. 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 Like, yeah, that. Okada. Or yeah, or or Osprey and Omega. Like, that's why we're doing this show. And I feel like partly they wanted it to be that, but without the star power, power, it couldn't be that. So then it had to be for some other reason. But they didn't come up with a reason. They just said it was important without explaining why. It, I feel like they kind of did rush it in that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they they rushed the storyline. I guess they wanted to cap it off at Survivor Series. But I mean, yeah, like if they had the patience, imagine how much how much better this show would have been. Like, what if they did this show at WrestleMania the following year? Mm-hmm. And then it seems like fresher con like if they had put all the WCW stars on WWF television and just wrestling each other, not even like with WWF guys, just as like a nitro or something like that Mm -hmm. on the Thursday show. So they could have built some of these guys up and they could have made, made um, them stars. So then it makes, it it makes it much more special. Like when you, when your WWF talent actually beats them. And that's the thing. If you couldn't have all the guys come over too, then at very least build up some of these guys who you do have coming over to make them feel like they're important instead of just killing them or, you know, having them beat Albert. (laughs) Like that's not, and then immediately 
having them get beat up. Like it just, it never felt like anybody from the Alliance was actually important. And that would be important if this show meant anything or this invasion meant anything. But like you had like a, even, even at the time, I think they had like a buff Bagwell and chronic who were unfortunately all released just because of terrible uh, first performances. Um, but, if, but imagine if their first match or both, all three of them first matches were on this show, like that would have been much better because mm-hmm. these three were at least some of their bigger, like maybe like middle of the card, but top tier, top tier mid card guys. Agreed. Could not agree more. I, I, Chronic always gets too much heat. Chronic was great, and I'm sad <laughs> to hear that they were released after that match. Uh, because in this era of WWE, who was having a good match with Undertaker and Kane? Who? The Dudleys? Sure. You threw some tables in there. You had the Dudleys. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe some of your top tier tag teams, but it wasn't like, and, and sure, Austin and Triple H, maybe. I don't remember. But maybe they were having great tag matches. Uh, what are you expecting? Like, that's, no. that's ridiculous. Uh, but you, we all know how ridiculous Vince was and is. Uh, you're number one, Rylan. I look, guys, I, I hear all of what you're saying about the alliance and the invasion storyline and how bad it ended up being and, and how, you know, you, you didn't build up stars. But I will say this match, this, this main event match, the fucking crowd was insane. Uh, everybody got their shit in. It was entertaining. Didn't care for the ending because I never liked Stone Cold going over to the Alliance. But I just thought that for what this was in the moment, I had to take myself back when I watched this, sh- this show to how I felt about it in the moment. And I remember this being a big deal. So I, I got to give as much as I really I think that RVD versus Jeff Hardy was maybe match of the night. This was like moment of the night, this whole match. And it, it, it led into what was unfortunately, you know, not what could, there, there was so much more that could have been with this Alliance storyline and this invasion storyline, but, uh, it didn't quite get there. Uh, but I thought this was great and I thought that everybody looked really good and I enjoyed it quite a bit. I enjoyed this show. I'm excited to continue on in this era. Um, do you have any uh, closing thoughts? Uh, Blaine, we'll start with you, Blaine. Do you have any closing thoughts about uh, this show as a whole? No, I like I. I looking back, I can see like there, there's like it was a very negative reception. I think this show got, but not particularly rightfully so. I thought 2001 in particular as a year had a great. It was a great year for wrestling pay per views. Uh, probably one of my favorite years ever. Um, and this show doesn't get the credit it deserves. Like, I think as a standalone show, it was really good. Uh, it's just the overall um, hype behind it, or lack thereof, that kind of made it suffer. Couldn't agree with you more on that. Yeah, I think for me, having not really gone through like, I was aware of this story going on, but I didn't really watch this pay-per-views at the time. Looking back on it, it just... So much of this feels like I can see the missed opportunities... Um, which is kind of unfortunate. I think it does color some of this because, yeah, I agree with you. The crowd was very hot for a lot of this stuff, but the big thing it was that really held this back was just the Alliance just never felt like a big deal, and they kept trying to throw numbers at this as opposed to throwing um, talent or making some of this talent 
feel more important. And the shame of it is the names were there. Storm and Awesome are both great wrestlers. RVD, obviously. Uh, DDP and Booker T are both obviously fantastic. Rhino and Small Doses, and same with Taz, you can make those guys feel like a big deal as powerhouses. Chris Canyon is an underrated wrestler. Like Billy Kidman, obviously. The talent was there if you wanted to make them feel important, but that just never felt like the goal for this, for Vince. This was just him being able to take a victory lap, and in doing so, he just burned a lot of money. Um, so I think that's going to be the end of the show. We've, we've put, run this uh, about as long as I think we, we kind of want to. Uh, Blaine, thank you so much for, for guesting for us. Is there anything that you want to plug before we get out of here? Yeah, so my uh, podcast, Royal Ramble, I record every Sunday afternoon, uh, including tomorrow. I'm going to be reviewing the Money in the Bank show from earlier today. Uh, so stay tuned. It's on Spotify. I'm on Podbean and YouTube. So uh, check it out. By the time this comes out, that will be out. So be sure to check that out. Um, thank you so much for listening, everybody. And you have been rewound. Have a good night. Yo! You have been listening to a Wallop Media podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Wallop Media. The hosts of our shows are Rylan, Kyle, and DK. You can find Rylan on Twitter at Rylan Wallop and Kyle on Twitter at Kyle Wallop. Production is by RJ Spearin. You can find his work at facebook.com slash spearkingco. Logo designs are by Maisie Mulder. You can find her work on her website, maisiemulderdesigns.com. Our podcasts are hosted by Acast. You can listen to them on the podcast catcher of your choice or on our website, shows.acast.com slash wallopmedia.